in the barracks Don't want to live in the barracks Why don't want to live in the barracks Wake up to the puke of tune I just like to live on a tree hut Yes, I like to live on a tree hut Yes, I like And I don't want to live in a jailhouse Don't want to buy my time in no jailhouse No, I don't want to live in no jailhouse And be fed bread to the bones Glad I'm alive Oh, 
took too long I got caught in the rush hour Fellas started to shower You with love and affection Now you won't look in my
crowd. Cause people like to talk. anymore Even though you're on my fight 
Like plastic Someone Muni Radio. Rain, 
you heard all these records that I bought yesterday, plus a couple of them in the library, we'd like you to support us. So you can go to the website, give us some Abraham Lincoln paper, one click, that's all it takes. Thanks for listening. I'm going to keep going for another couple hours if you're listening live. And it's way better than this, if that's possible. psychology with Renee McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco. And if you want real change on a soul level, you've come to the right place. So welcome everybody to Spiritual Psychology. My name's Renee McKenna and I'm a therapist in San Francisco and I'm so excited. I have live guests this morning. I've only had dead guests up to this point and it's really, really fun when they're alive. And so I have um, Carl Berger, who's originally from Maine Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, East Coast. East Coast. Totally represent. Yeah. 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 He traded out. Now he's in the other Portland. Yep. On the other coast, which is this coast. This coast, the other, the other one, yeah. And so, how's it been going? You here for the comedy festival? Yeah, I came down on Friday and been here throughout the weekend, uh, doing a lot of shows. Been on a lot of different podcasts. It's been a blast to uh, to meet a bunch of like really kind of weird, unique individual people and uh, funny comedians, and uh, see their shows, see their style of humor, and then hang out afterwards. It's been nice to just kind of stand around and spin a yarn awesome awesome well i'm glad that you like weird unique people we'll get along good (laughs) (laughs) and i have gaula finman's gonna come she's looking for parking which isn't always easy to do on the mission um and so uh you gotta ask me what is spiritual psychology oh yeah please tell me what is spiritual psychology explain a little bit you know yesterday one of the things about, um, you don't have an accent. See, nobody has it. I don't know. I'm the only person from the East Coast who has a fucking accent. I don't know what that is. It's so weird. But it gets me a lot of interesting conversations with people. So yesterday I was in, a, um, I was at the dog park. I'm always at the dog park. Not because I hang out at dog parks, but because I have dogs. Right? Oh, okay. so, yeah. um, so I was at the dog park and uh, 
and I was talking to my dog or whatever, and the lady's like, oh, are you from Boston? And um, so she's from Lincoln, Mass., which is, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful place. And, and so we start to talk, and somewhere, I'm always I'm a big, yappy person, so I must have mentioned something about being a therapist, and she said, oh, what kind of therapy do you do? And I said, spiritual psychology. And she said, what is that? And I said, well, it's a blend of hypnotherapy and Buddhist philosophy and depth psychology and shamanism. And she said, oh, my God, I Googled spiritual psychology this morning. (laughs) Honest to God. And it's all because of my accent. I will never lose my accent just because it gets me clients. And so, (laughs) right? And she actually booked a session with me yesterday. That's interesting. Yeah, it was so cool. Do you have this happen a lot when when you, like, meet somebody uh, in public and you, you let them know that you're a therapist? Do they ever, like, ask you? To like help them on the spot. Like I know as like a comedian or like somebody who's pursuing comedy. They say, say something funny. Yeah. Or like they either say, say something Make me funny laugh. or like they go, oh yeah, like I could, I've tried that. Or like, here's a joke. Then it's usually really racist and you're like, okay, this is awkward. I'll, I'll just have my coffee now. <laughs> you know, I wish that people would do that. Oh, really? I love to do on the spot therapy. That's what I'm doing here. I mean, we'll yeah, do it yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually do a lot of on the spot. I've done therapy with people in Starbucks. I do therapy. Mm-hmm. I'll do therapy anywhere. Um, so I wish it happened more, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. You know, most people are too afraid. They're too private. They're too close about their suffering and their dysfunction. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's terrible because we should all just take all of our clothes off and be as dysfunctional as we can. And then we can get the help that we need. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to set up a booth like Lucy in Peanuts Therapy Five Cents, like a lemonade stand, but a therapy booth. Do you, Do you know? remember in, in Peanuts when there was Lucy set up the therapy of stand? Of course. So when I was a kid, that's who they said I was like. Oh, no way! It was Lucy. Yeah, because I'm bossy and mean. No, I'm not mean. <laughs> I wouldn't ever pull the football out from under you maybe i don't know um and i have to charge a lot more than five cents in san francisco <laughs> you know i <laughs> unless it's on the street or on the radio yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. so part of the reason that uh, i like to do the show and that i wanted to do it um to do live therapy with people is because so this work is very experiential. It's not like regular talk therapy where you're just like figuring out and naming things or like, oh, that's what happened to me and now I understand it. Um, there's a place for that, but mm-hmm. I actually don't find understanding things does any more than make me smarter. It doesn't make me feel better. Right. And so it's actually doing the work. And this work is not just experiential for the person, but it can be very visual. Uh, we use a lot of the active imagination to what I call concretize or make concrete all the kind of non-rational aspects of ourselves, our emotions, our spirit, our energy, our relationships, our experience that are just ideas. And when we can give them a form with our active imagination, once something has a form, you can work with it. And, um, and there's a lot that can be done. And so as people describe what's happening to them, I find it really, really interesting to be able to listen and we can actually follow each other's process. And because, you know, humans are all pretty much the same, mm-hmm. more or less, once yeah. you get down, sure. um, <laughs> there's a lot to be gathered, I think, from knowing what's possible. I know for myself, when I know what's possible for someone else, then it makes it that much more possible for me. Yeah. You know, um, so 
So tell me about your dysfunction. What's happening? <laughs> All comedians that I've ever met come from crazy families, and they either were going to become a therapist or a comedian or a criminal. Yeah. And some of them have done all of those things. So tell me about yourself. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm just thinking back. I don't think I've done a whole lot of criminal activities. Oh, that's too bad. Necessarily. Nothing like, I mean, I haven't like killed anybody. Oh, that's good. Killing <laughs> but, is bad. Yeah. That's bad. Generally bad. Crime can uh, be kind of fun though. I mean, Sorry. I, yeah. No, like, I mean, you know, you this and that speed every once in a while. Okay. Pirate things off the internet. Speeding but. is not a crime. I'm sorry. <laughs> Speeding is just fun. But um, so criminal was out for you. Criminal was out. Not going to be yeah. a criminal. Okay. Um, my actually my main occupation is woodworker. That's that's mainly what I do: cabinetry, furniture making. Awesome. You look like a woodworker. You have your plaid shirt the on. Flannel. Yeah. You're good. You're rocking the I flannel. The, I actually have my Boston hat. He has so his he, Boston, Boston hat. Oh my hat. god, he's got his Carhartt hat. Oh, I love it. Did you do that on purpose? Did you know? No, no, no. See your chin. This is all. It's all serendipity. Yeah. It's serendipity. It's, a, it's actually interesting because I do have a. I see a therapist semi regularly back in Portland, and uh, she's also from Boston. Which is all great therapy yeah. comes from Boston. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing where it's a, it's a portal. Well, it's, yeah, but I mean, it's uh, people are I think a little bit more upfront in Boston at least about their oh, feelings. Think? They don't. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, about me, I guess like I I grew up uh, grew up in Maine in a town called Booth Bay, a uh, pretty small town. My folks split when I was probably uh, somewhere between six and eight mm. um, and lived mostly with my mom okay. um, spent uh, Friday nights with my dad and that was about that was it until 18 or I guess 17 when I actually I left the house at 17 so that's kind of the the abridged backstory and then um, what happened then I moved to Oregon I moved to Portland um, basically didn't I didn't know anybody out there but I moved I went out there for college and tried to blaze my own trail just kind of try to you know start something new you know you kind of it's like if you leave if you go to a new place you can kind of shake off whatever baggage you had from behind kind of from your past life and you can start as a new individual if you like so i'll just notice you went as far as humanly possible away I mean, yeah, gone <laughs> we'll to, just notice yeah, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? no, that right? was that's a, that not was, a coincidence. No, that probably. was definitely a conscious right. decision. I think I think when my when I was looking around at um, schools to go to, my mom was definitely hoping or wishing that I would stay within like a driving, you know, mileage less than three thousand five hundred miles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, I don't, you know. I was like, I don't want the chance of you dropping it <laughs> unannounced. Not, not, I mean, I love my mother, but, you know, it's like, I think it, it, I, I reached a certain point in my life where I was like, I just want to do my own thing, you know, just be, try, try stuff out on my own. So. In therapy, we call that individuation. Sure, yeah. Becoming yeah. an individual. Yeah. I think, you know, and for me, that's, I think, our work here as humans in our life is to be the particular us that we're supposed to be. Not yeah. the us that mom or dad or culture or religion or whatever wants us to be. And a lot of the work is stripping away all those ideas of who we think we should be to really be who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I probably didn't do the... I mean, I went away and I, I did a whole lot of things throughout my middle adolescence, my, my later teenage years, early 20s. But in the end, like I got 
I kind of just went back into woodworking and that that's what my father does. He's a carpenter. So kind of went full circle where doing basically the same stuff, more or less just in a different uh, coast on a different coast. What kind of woodworking? I, for me, Mm -hmm. I do, it's, it's a really niche job that I work in right now. And it's all, um, like retail pop-ups and displays. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a, wild i never thought that i would be doing this because it's so weird but uh essentially the company i work for uh streamline craftsman we we will set up and build out uh events for like shoe launches right (laughs) so like if nike's got a new product that that's coming out and they have a multi-city kind of product launch Mm -hmm. we'll we'll have crews in like all those different cities and they'll have these plans and they'll have these things fabricated with lights and whistles and all that and we'll go in and pull it off the truck and build it up overnight and it'll usually it's like up for a day mm-hmm. and then we take it all down and recycle it or do the best we can to get rid of it all and that's that's the job cool on the side i, I make my own furniture i build my own furniture oh and, awesome yeah stuff like that that's the more creative end of it awesome yeah. what kind of furniture do you build i like to stick kind of in i mean obviously coming from new england coming from maine i have a lot of like shaker influence Mm. uh, a lot of like that thomas Mosier uh background that's very simple clean lines yeah people that don't know what that is they're all ignorant (laughs) think modern building and like it may make it into a a chair and that's like shaker yeah shaker i don't know what the it's an incredibly religious kind of sect or cult i don't know if there's any actually have you ever done any so i actually went there's a shaker village they were all dead now because they actually didn't they don't procreate right which is not good if you want to continue yeah (laughs) but we went and um and oh it's a beautiful place and it had we had a dinner there sabbath day lake maine is that the one it wasn't in maine no it was in massachusetts anyway and um yeah, it was so interesting, all the stuff that they made, everything, and they were so ingenious. I mean, they had, like, this was in, like, the, the 1800s. They had this elaborate system where the heating system was set up as also a dryer for the clothes. So they'd, like, hang all the clothes, like, in all, and all, and it, like, rotated. It was crazy. I mean, this was, you know, before electricity. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they had little mice or whatever. Oh, my she God. It's There's not her a, baby. It's, don't worry. It's not her baby. Not There's her baby. a <laughs> you, you just picked up a baby off the street? Yeah, I, I just find them. I find them everywhere. In the wow. And they're sleeping <laughs> in quiet. Oh, my goodness. This is Gaula Finman has just joined us. So nice Hi. to meet you. Hi. Welcome. I know you had a little trouble yeah. finding parking. Yeah. This is a... This is there's a, what's her name? Colin. 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 It's a boy. It's in gray. You don't know? We don't no, know. We have to wait till the diaper comes off and then we find out if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah. Oh my God. Sit, sit in that, sit in that okay. chair. Uh, there's a baby. There's a baby. I, I love babies. I can't have them anymore, which doesn't make me, which doesn't make me sad, but, um, everybody. Welcome. Gaula. It's me and a baby. You and a baby. So we have two comics and a baby. That could be like a, that could, yeah, and a therapist. So this is some, it is. Yeah. So, so we were just learning a little bit about Carl. And um, so I happen to know a little bit about you because I listened to one of your podcasts on the way here, but maybe my listeners don't. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, I love, I'm glad I figured out how to say her name. So it's hot. such a beautiful name, Gaula. I love that. I thought it was Irish until I listened because it sounds 
Irish. If you, I don't know if you know a lot of Irish. This people. baby's parents are Irish. Yeah, no, I, I live <laughs> I in. I can't the, pronounce my name. They call they, me G. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had one of the funniest baby showers I ever went to. It was one of my girlfriends, and she's from Ireland, and everybody there was Irish. And you know how you play stupid games at baby showers? Yeah. And, and the baby shower game was spell this Irish name. That's so funny. And you can't. <laughs> it's like, do you know that. Kiva is spelt C-I-O-B-A-N. That's Kiva, yeah. right? Like, no one won wow. the game. It was ridiculous. Yeah, people call him by his gay, like, he has an Irish name. It's like David, but I always forget how to say it. Dawid or something. I don't know. It's different, and I don't want to butcher it. We won't. In Gaelic. So, so whoa, I just banged and made a funny noise. That's a weird noise. Um, so tell us about Kaula. Mm. Um. Okay. I usually drink coffee, and I didn't today. Oh. Um, but to go a little deeper, maybe. Um, I moved to San Francisco in September from Detroit, where I was born and raised. Welcome. Um, traveled a little bit. My only experience in Detroit was in the Detroit airport, and they took my knife. <laughs> <laughs> this was before 9-11. Before you wouldn't even think about bringing a knife, knife. but it was my, it was an awesome knife. Was it like a collapsible knife? Yeah, it was like a fold up knife. It was like five inches long. I just for some reason, and they took it. I was so bummed. Anyway, like a full chef's knife. Just like I would love to have, I have a good friend who's totally into knives. Um, Anyway, but I digress. Go ahead. So just an open ended gula. Um, People are probably like, well, what does that name mean? I get that a lot. So it means redemption. Yeah, um, it comes from my parents who are both Jewish and then found a very weird spiritual path. So they named us names that were like really intense with a lot of meaning mm. and uh, left us to deal with them. There you go. <laughs> so what is yeah. what's, what does that mean for you in your life, redemption? What is it? Well, I, rem- I remember like, so it, ca- it comes from like this sort of unanimous, like group redemption of like the world is going to end and there's going to be like, people riding on the backs of eagles and like fucking going to the holy land so that's like i had to divorce from that meaning for sure wow so So, really out of revelations yeah oh wow yeah like the big redemption yeah like there's very specific things like the one that was supposed to happen in 2012 that we missed yeah (laughs) okay and it's like we're still waiting one of the things that they say in like the prophecies it's like the prophecies that like fruits and vegetables will get like so big that like 10 men will have to carry one grape and i'm like it's just like gmos and shit you know when people you know when people like try to get like science and and religion and be like see it's true uh anyway i'm i digress what are i talking about we're talking about (laughs) redemption and what it means for you yeah so now it means like personal redemption and like um i did a lot of work like from probably 18 and on to to uh, sort of get beyond guilt and shame in myself and others and mm-hmm. like being your full, truest, honest self in the moment, even if it means like having bad manners or something, you know, just like honesty is kind of it. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll get along good. You know, she, she missed the prompt. I just said that. Like, so for me, the core of my work, and I think I work as humans here on this planet is to be the authentic person that we are and to to divorce ourselves from all of the guilt and shame and the shoulds and all that mm. and be the unique, quirky, what was the word you used? Quirky, 
I can't remember. That was, was so Zany. long ago. <laughs> that, was, that was almost five minutes ago. It was. I no, I, did you have your coffee? We were talking know, yeah. about furniture. Yeah, because he, um, he's a furniture maker and a carpenter. Yeah. Because he hasn't been totally discovered. Saturday Night Live isn't. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, they're not, they're not knocking on the door. They might be. Like you you two never worlds know. You could be discovered in, you know, like the furniture world, too. You could blow, you know. Furniture's gotta, funny, isn't uh, it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a funny... Oh, man, I don't know if you guys watched uh, the, the series Parks and Rec, Parks and Recreation. I've seen. So there's, like, the character... Uh, what is his name? Ron... I can't remember his last name, but he's like a woodworker type guy. And I, I loved throughout the whole series, he would subtly name drop famous furniture makers. <laughs> oh, and wow. No one, it's like I'd be watching with friends or like watching with a girlfriend. I'd be like, oh, yo, he just name dropped Thomas, like Tom Hucker or somebody else. Like Sam Maloof. And, and everybody... people are like, what? I'm like, yo, that Sam Maloof's like the greatest rocking chair maker ever. And then I'd like <laughs> pause it and like Google and show them their work and like, dude, we don't care. Like, <laughs> there are nobody... so many layers to that show, people. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually like, really cool that they did that. Yeah, and I'm like, like he he name drops Tom Hucker in one. He's like this uh, in New York kind of, uh, I would say like avant-garde furniture maker who I've met and like chatted with. We're Facebook friends. I'm kind of bragging right now, so you should be. Impressed. You're name dropping. Like yeah. <laughs> two worlds. You're trying to. Yeah. Uh, trying oh, is it Tom Zucker? Just... Thomas Hucker. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas Hucker. Hucker. Okay. Hucker, yeah. I can I can act impressed. Yeah. You know. Please. Thank Whoa. you. Yeah. That's you know, a, Thomas that's Hucker. What I need. That's awesome. What What about Ethan Allen? <laughs> Am I, am I name dropping? Yeah. Ethan Allen. You, uh, I used to work for Ethan Allen. Did you really? Shout out to Ethan. Shout out to Ethan. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I'll have to think of a name that I can drop. Can I make one up? I'll have to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gaula, what do yeah. you do when you're not picking up babies off the street and, and being funny? So, um, I'm, I live with a family and I'm an au pair. Oh, awesome. So it's pretty full time. Roll out of bed. Is this one of your pairs that you owe? This is my <laughs> pair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that one's more of a banana. No. <laughs> um, and uh, the grandmother's in. So I like to say I have two in-laws. So it makes my job like a full-time job more. Cause, you know, I don't know if anyone has a, a mother-in-law. But... Do you have to give a grandma too? Yeah. I mean, she's very, she's very like, like yesterday she tried to get me to go to like a baby depot store and spend like three hours there. And I like don't want to tell her that I just buy everything online for the babies. Anyway, my di- I'm a wreck. Um, so basically, yeah, I spend a lot of my time with babies, and it like fully takes over my spirit. But it's actually like the best job too. I feel like it's really, really sweet. But I end up spending a lot of time like at home, and I'm not usually a homebody, especially when it's raining outside. Well, is this interesting? It is. How many babies? There's two. I drop off the three-year-old at school. I'm planning her birthday. She's gonna be three on Saturday. And then, um, then I have a baby all day and I was with her since her mom, his mom was pregnant. So, wow. yeah, I have to say, so I had my kids when I was 39 and mm-hmm. 41. I never thought I would do it. I didn't want to subject anyone to being a child. I hated being a child. I did not <laughs> want to make anyone else do that again, but no, I, I thought it was a terrible thing, but, yeah. um, I was in graduate school to become a therapist at the time. So I get to do like a whole graduate project about becoming a mother and, um, and solving all of my pre-adolescent problems, so now I'm all healed. But anyway, um, but I have to say that the experience 
You know, I, I like to say that when a baby was born, a mother is born too. And for me, becoming a mother in that period of time between like zero and five yeah. was probably the most zen time I've ever had in my whole life. People complain about, oh, I don't sleep and I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky I was able to be a stay-at-home mom. My, my ex-husband had a good enough job. He's an electrician. So oh, yeah. I know about, and I've worked in the trades in a lot myself union? too. In the union, yep, yeah. local six. And... um and so I was able to stay at home with the kids mm. and there's nothing more present set. If you can really be with it, if you have an agenda, you're screwed. Oh, you, yeah. if you have an agenda, if there's oh, anything yeah. you want to do, forget it because they're going to have to poop. They're going to puke on themselves. There's no way you're going to get anywhere on any I mean, that's time. the gift. And that's what I tell the parents. Like I never give the kids screen time because I'm like, this is my job, you know? So I have the time to like get out the paints and like get messy with kids because I'm literally like getting paid to not do anything else. You know, but mm-hmm. the parents both run their own companies. I got the three-year-old out of bed this morning, and she had a cell phone in her hand, and she was watching TV, and it was like 7.30 in the morning. So it's like a, a screen time and a lollipop if I'm not there. Well, thank God for you. So uh, they, they're very – like, they, they're grateful. They're like, we're paying you to love our children. But it is weird because they're actually not mine. It's my job. Yeah. So it's very weird. How often do the parents – if I yeah. can no, 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 how, no. do they, like, interact with their kids often? Or is it like – The mom does, and the dad oh, – this is such gossip. They don't listen to me in your radio. <laughs> they definitely don't. But I, I analyze because I also I, – I love I, – I told myself I wouldn't analyze them too much because it's my job. But I fucking did. The dad told the mom before he got married that he didn't want to have kids. And so they were going to have kids, but he doesn't have to do anything with them. Wow. And he literally like will walk right by them, you know, and it's like the kids don't like reach out for him and they don't want to go to him. So he's very not totally, totally, totally not present. He'll just like go on vacation for two weeks and nobody notices. So. Sick. Ugh. So the thing yeah. I've thought about this a lot as, as what I felt like an unloved child yeah. that, um, if if children receive love from someone, yeah, then they're okay. Yeah. I don't even think it matters who it is. If I, you have one person that you bond with who can who sees who you are and recognizes your yeah. needs and actually loves you, mm-hmm. then your spirit is going to be okay. Yeah. If you don't have that, you fucked. Yeah. She's but like a great school. Then you got to come yeah. see me. If <laughs> you don't have it. No, it's but, fine, and it's yeah, it's. I think like these kids have they have really good lives. Like they're fine. They're not like in pain because their parents are busy well i mean it's a really traditional this has been happening for for eons where wealthy people have other people raise their kids right wet nurses in the old days and nannies and you know the maids and and i honestly think the stuff i do is like the kids will switch in their brain something and this is not studied but they will remember a hug from me as mother like it's just a figure of nurturing and so it will just replace like it will be their mom especially like at this age, just having like a warm person that's attending to you, it is kind of groundwork. So it is. It no, is. I mean, yeah. having right, having someone love you and recognize your needs and yeah. be present and being present. I think that I'm very concerned about what's going to happen for children with mm-hmm. all the screen time and the screen time of the parents not actually engaging with the kids. If I'm I mean, going like this to him and he's looking for me, he starts crying and like I don't even realize that I'm. I have like a phone. By this, I mean I'm like putting my phone. I'm looking at my phone, and he's trying to make eye contact. He's right. Just five and a half months. We all need eye contact, yeah. especially at this age, yeah. because they're orienting their world through whoever their caregiver is. Yeah. And so that's awesome that you know that, and you're a mindful caregiver, and you yeah. brought him. I hope he screams. 
yeah, at some point. I really do. He's, I miss. He's like the sweetest baby. He's such a gem. I usually get fired from nanny jobs when they turn around three because they start calling me mom, and the mom uh, can't handle it. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not mo- nanny Pammy, not mommy, nanny Pammy. And I, so I always that. get that's. I usually get. I when I get fired, it's usually, and it isn't that I'm fired. They're like, we're just gonna send him to preschool now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. right, because we don't want him to bond too much with right. someone. God forbid right. that he would actually really bond with someone. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. Oh yeah, I got yelled at uh, for cuddling the baby too much by the grandmother yesterday. <laughs> She was like, you're spoiling the child. And she had him strapped to the high chair in the kitchen watching, like, some weird cooking show. Whoa. And, like, I've never just, like, put put him in front of the TV. Like, he's too little for TV in my You're brain. spoiling. That's so sad. Yeah, it's wild. That's so sad. That wild. Getting emotional attention is spoiling. All right. I'm like, how about the 30 gifts you just dumped on the other kid? the sugar like it's just it's just so weird i grew up so differently so how did you grow up i'm the fifth of seven children and my mom had no help <laughs> so another mess i don't know if it's, it's not superior for sure but there was definitely a lot of love but probably not enough attention you know so different when, kinds of attention like sibling attention and stuff like that well that's another that's the thing yeah. that happens though after you get three kids it becomes a gang yeah it has its own yeah rules in its own kind of trickle down. I'm an only child, so I was like desperately lonely until I discovered um, drugs and alcohol and then I became <laughs> <laughs> and then I became a party girl and I've never shut up since. But um look at this baby. Hi baby. Oh Maybe my goodness. Are you gonna talk to us? Are you gonna talk you can blow the horn. No that'll freak him out. Um <laughs> So cute you are. He's got a little fluffy suit on with it's like ears. The thing about bringing him places is that like babies and parenting and love and cuddles becomes like the source of things. It really like, does. It's, I don't know. It's kind of like a like a dog in the room or like a cat or whatever. Everyone's just like. No, they do. Well, especially babies. So they haven't at this age. He's five months old. Can he sit up by himself? He's. Uh, he had a few minutes the other day. Okay, yeah, he's right at that cusp. So, so at this age, they don't have any filters yet, and so for me, oh my god, oh my god, he looks like a little white polar bear, and he's smiling at her. Oh my god, you are the cutest thing. But the, um, I mean, my own belief, you know, this is spiritual psychology, right? So, you know, underlying all things is this life energy that we're all connected with and little babies and sometimes old people, if they have been, if they allow themselves to become open before they die, they're like portals into that larger field. And so I think that's why people are drawn to babies because they have that pure like (laughs) energy, that life energy that hasn't been tarnished. When he's happy, it's like his toes are happy. You know what I mean? There is no, yeah. It's Look so at him. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm so cute. So, and Pam, I forgot you're a, you're a caregiver too then. Yeah. I only yeah. see you as the radio lady. No, I, I, I haven't been a caregiver. I mean, I still do it, but now all my kids have kind of timed out except for one who has special needs and she's 12 and I've been with her since oh. she was this age. So oh my she's like my person. So um, I get to hang out with her still and I've seen her grow up, which is amazing, but mostly like one of my little buddies. Now she does 
like it's so creepy because the only time I get to see her is if I have other kids and I met your babuena. She's a skater now. She's an ice skater. And so I'll like make all of us look through the window and like watch her skate and every once in a while wave. And she's like, oh my God, my creepy old nanny is there. <laughs> but it's, I don't usually get access to them after, you know, a certain point. Okay. Is that sad for you? No, I don't get paid to hang out with them anymore. Therefore, my therefore my usefulness has You're done. surpassed. Yeah. I don't hang out with kids unless people give me money. That's like, <laughs> but I'm great. I'm like you when they have the kids, yeah. if they're paying me the money, that's my fucking job. Any job I do, I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah, that's exactly how I look that's at it. That's how I'm doing. So give me the kids. I'll play with the kids. I love the kids. Yeah, look at you. You're, that's, he's a cute little dude. Yeah, it helps. It helps when they're cute. <laughs> it is. Yeah, ugly Pretty babies fun. are really a drag. It sucks when they're ugly. It's, it's the ugly babies. The ugly, baby. <laughs> the ugly babies. Ugly shit babies should die. No. <laughs> Only the cute ones. Only the cute ones can be saved. And he's like so cute. Yeah. So I was talking a little bit to Carl earlier uh, about the idea of the psychology of being funny. Of the psychology of comedy. Oh, totally. So what do you guys think about that? Like, what makes something funny? I mean, I think I think in the right context or conducted the right way, like, really anything could be funny. And, and certainly anything could be funny to anybody. You know, there's a whole, a whole world out there. I mean, I, I just started watching, uh, oh, is it Larry... Oh, oh baby. Did he just fart? I don't know what <laughs> See, farting is funny. Why is farting funny? You know, we all do it. And why is it funny? I don't know why. But I, yeah, I just started watching this uh, documentary series on Netflix. It's it's done by the creator. He he like created a bunch of uh, TV shows, movies. He was a writer, comedic writer for a while, and I can't remember his name, but he goes around the world and interviews folks in like different war-torn regions uh to talk about comedy and humor the first episode he's like mainly in iraq uh and talking about how they maintain humor where they are but then i know he goes to like nigeria and interviews like uh you know former like child soldiers wow how they how funny is it when he chops someone's head off with a like, machete? Whoa! Well, like they were, so they talk about how when they're living in an absurd, like an absurdist uh, world where like things like that happen and that's regular, that your humor becomes that level of absurdity too. Wow. Right. Where they have to just kind of like laugh at stuff. <laughs> you're gonna laugh at whatever your world is. I mean, look wow. at look at the soldiers in Guantanamo Bay who were piling naked detainees up and. That was their joke. That was their that they were like that was the joke. Right, because they're in a it's like right putting people in dog cages and chaining them up and stuff is like uh, absurd and like the the humor just kind of meets the absurdity of the situation. What is absurdity? That is an interesting question. What is absurd? I love to be deep. Yeah, sorry. Um, What is absurdity? I mean, for me, so I think about comedy. And a lot of things that are funny have to do with pain or mm. suffering. Like a lot of, you know, it's it, there's a measure of truth in it that's painful, and then we laugh about it. Mm. And it shifts out. For me, it's just my, I laugh at myself all the time yeah. because I'm always in pain. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, and 
But that's it's a, it seems like there's a funny line between humor and suffering. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like which way are you going to fall? Are we going to find this funny or are we going to kill ourselves? Right. <laughs> and I think like there's a, the shift of like war-torn countries and that reality and then in United States or sort of very developed, very privileged countries where I think our sense of comedy and our structure of comedy comes from. So there we don't have like war-torn countries and limbs to laugh at. So what do we do? It's like, I think for for me, it's like, uh, yeah, it's that suffering. But I think, and again, I'm going to go back to shame. It's like, what parts of our human experience do we still feel shame for? And it's sort of like in the past 10 or 20 years, we've like, with the help of psychology and with the help of like, a lot of good media, like, it feels like almost everything's been talked about with the human experience. Right. You know, but that's sort of what comedy was for a long time. It's like, I don't know, like, just the, it was like the taboo, right? And so now it's like, we, I think at this point, if you're trying to create new material, just saying something taboo that happened to you is like not enough anymore. And so I'm right because you can't talk about if your father had sex with you because everybody already had that happen. Right? It's, a fucking, it's like not. It's a non. It's a non-entity. Boring. If I hear right. one more incest boring. joke, one more incest joke, I swear I'm like rolling my eyes at incest. Right? So no, boring. it isn't. It's it's so like boring. cliche now. It's yeah. just kind of terrible. Like but, the Pope molested a boy. So boring. You know? It's like right, <laughs> right. So where do you find your material? How do you come up with material? I'm going to ask you the same question, Carl. Sure. Or either of you can answer if you want to think about it. Where do you find new material? There you go. Yeah. I moved it lower for Colin. I'm back. Um, I think I find my material from everyday life. I've sat and tried to write jokes, and it's not a good, it's not a good, a good, nothing good happens. Like, it's, my jokes come from when people do something funny. Usually when people say something that pisses me off, that's where my jokes come from. Oh, really? It's like... I think like it's not anger because I don't I'm not like I don't get super angry but like the 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 first pangs of anger are where my jokes probably And come then from. it becomes so that it it's feels like look like, at this bitch it's <laughs> <laughs> Right so we could go one way and you make it go the other way yeah. Oh that's just And even in life with that person with conflict this person will say something to me and I'll just be like like, I'll just be like, look at this bitch, but in, like, a funny way to them back. Like, that's kind of how I deal with conflict. I deal with conflict with humor, and then my humor is the conflict, too. It's like a, like in life with seven kids and a mom, like, I think that's where my comedy really comes from. And it's like, there's a lot of conflict constantly. Right. And then just needing to be the funniest one in the room to, like, take the tension away. Or, like, somebody says an insult to me, and I'm going to diffuse it by, like, making everyone laugh. You know what I mean? So, are you... Is... Is the comedy a diffuser or is it a confrontation or is it both? Ooh. I mean, it's both. Like I'm because look at this bitch is not diffusing. No. Oh, I'm also <laughs> I also like throw a punch. Like I have my grandmother in me, and I can be really sour. Like I'm not like just because I'm the narrator narrator of my own story doesn't mean I'm like the nice guy. Like I'm a fucking tool sometimes, and right. so it's like sometimes I will say something insulting because it's funny. Right. And that's like my social socially channel like i'm socially challenged where like i just want to say the thing that's so hilarious even if it's like so cutting because it's so true you know and i'm kind of like the person in the room i saw this funny satirical headline the other day that was just like "Uh uh-oh like person in the friend group decides she needs to tell everybody exactly how it is you know and it's like i'm totally that person that needs to like call everybody out on their bullshit and like oh oh pick me i do that too i I just (laughs) 
like is it necessary like just let what is it like what are more than those expressions like, live and let, let live fly or something i don't know like let let people like people know is that like i just made up that expression i think like let oh, the ducks lie no, let the rats eat like why do you got to pig at other people's weaknesses you know i totally am i'm fucking well it makes us feel better about us totally, when we do totally. that right when we pick on that's other also like where my all that all that part of my brain is, is where this shit comes from what about you? Where do you get your Carl? Where do you get your? Sure, yeah. We're, we're passing baby. a baby back and forth. Okay. <laughs> baby passing. Uh, I I mean similarly, I think. Oh, that's a hard word to say. Similarly. Similarly. Do you yeah. ever try to say that like ten times? Similarly, similarly. similarly, similarly. similarly. You can't. I, I think can't it's do it more than definitely three. harder with like a thick, thicker New England accent. You, oh no, <laughs> it's my deficit. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I I pull from experiences in everyday life and. A lot of times I... Do you make like, furniture jokes? No, I, I thought <laughs> I thought about that. I did actually think for a little... Like, I was like, you know... Because like, I come from like a pretty blue-collar uh, town and like a, a blue-collar life. And so I was like, man, I... Everything... I there is no white-collar in Maine. No, well, not until the summertime when everybody comes up from New York. And those stuff. people don't count. And they don't bring their collars <laughs> anyway. No. But... Uh, the bushes and all those... Yeah, people, the, the Martha Stewart's got a place in... Does Bar- she really? Harbor, yeah. Martha... No one even says that name anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. There's another name drop. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're so good. I dated a, a girl up in Bar Harbor who, like... I think she, like, cleaned her house. Whoa. I know. I know. Whoa. <laughs> Big news. Whoa. Yeah, but, you know, I got to say, I was... fascinating. So... <laughs> Anyone's house, I would want to... I was a house cleaner for 12 years, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm going to say, cleaning Martha Stewart's house, that is a name drop. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. of all the people to clean for, can you, you imagine know, cleaning like, for her? You want to know, like, what she gets particular about so badly, right? Like... It was also everything. Like, it was I'm going to tell you. Like, I want to know about her Tupperware. Everything. It's an enormous dildo collection yeah. that she needs cleaned bi-weekly. Yeah, a little. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. I'm that woman never I'm used a dildo in her life. Please. Friends with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, they are good friends. <laughs> are they? Really? Yeah, they have a show together. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so culturally But this was all, this was like off season because like people, it's so, it, the whole wealth, uh, like, gap in maine or at least like the Afro oh people my god there. yeah people don't know about Maine. but I didn't, I didn't know like these folks have their homes regularly like cleaned and maintained on a weekly basis throughout the winter when even they're not when they even there. there just to, i mean like well it's to support it. the it's probably to oh it def- the yeah people. it's crazy it's people have a lot of like jobs and can get by through the winter just on cleaning empty houses. i remember like going not to it wasn't to martha stewart's home but it was to another like mega mansion <laughs> and like helping clean no, like you're not cleaning for anybody. You're just kind of vacuuming and dusting, yeah. and it's spooky. Those were my favorite houses to clean. The clean house, clean, the clean, clean house, houses. and they'll pay you the most. The people who paid me the most money were the people that already had the house. It was clean, yeah. and you clean the clean house. Yeah, you like dust the dustless thing, and they'll notice. Did you move the wedding picture and dust underneath? Oh, <laughs> oh my God, no! And they'll they'll know. They check. It's crazy. But um, no, so a lot of people don't know because they've never been to Maine. Right. Can't get there from here. Yeah, yeah. Right. Can, you can't even probably. Can you do a Maine accent? Oh yeah, yeah. I'd have to. You'd have to think about I'd have it. To huh? go back in. I try. I can yeah, do I a got, better one than you. It, it was so traumatizing in high school because it was usually like a Maine accent, like. Come here, you fucking bitch tits. I'll kick your ass. Like, stuff like that. <laughs> there it is, there it is. And then it was followed by just me crying a lot. So, so you, you moved to Portland to so, yeah. try to put, block that out. Maybe we'll do a little trauma work Were on you, you in the world. Were you fat? 
Why would they call you bitch? <laughs> <laughs> My uh, uncle actually called me that once. Yeah, I, when I I was like a little chubby kid growing up. Uh, it was so funny. I, it, it was a, a we were actually uh, doing a family vacation in Jersey, and he was like, "Get up, bitch! Tits for playing mini golf today." Oh, that's terrible! <laughs> oh my funny. god, that, he thinks it's funny <laughs> now. So that's where he gets his. I mean, I think it it is funny. Cause it's like, the, ju- yeah, just picture yelling that at like a chubby little eleven year old. Oh, gives a character. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. But terrible. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, life. I, I, I'm trying to kind of work toward or focus more on like finding the absurdity in uh, like the not not the absurdity in toxic masculinity, but like trying to point out how ridiculous that is or how absurd that is. So like one of my jokes is about getting a prostate exam recently and just like how I try to build it up to be like, oh, I've, I've never, I would never like enjoy that or put something in my butt. You don't like having something? But then I, I, I love it when people put their finger like up my ass. The kind of punchline is like, should I say that? I'm a therapist. I don't know if I should tell you. Like, <laughs> you lifted the veil, honestly. Google already said honesty. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's like being a like red blooded like American meat and potatoes guy. Like clearly, I've put stuff in my butt before. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. And it's trying. Know. Who wouldn't? Trying to. It's my, like I producing comedy shows now and like we call um our production thing manly man Productions. oh yeah because it's just i think that's what's funny right now is like anyone trying hard to protect their masculinity is so funny to me yeah yeah <laughs> like we already know like other men already let it loose you know like we already know like you cry or you need to cry or whatever it is but it's like that's the stuff i work on like in relationships with men is like the manly man stuff the manly man stuff yeah I'm just jumped in. Totally, no. No, jump in. I'm interested. I'm totally interested in that because it's like, man, it's so dumb. (laughs) What's dumb about it? It's, I don't know. It's like a, uh, it's, it's dumb in the same way that like Valentine's Day is dumb, right? It's like a totally constructed holiday. It's a totally constructed like reality. I mean, it's based in, you know, centuries of, of oppression and what have you and, and, well, it really oppresses the men. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. that's what yeah. I see. You know, I, I think about one of my favorite clients. He's actually dead now. Not because he did therapy with me. But, um, and uh, total, he was a carpenter. Total manly man. Um, big, strong guy. And he was adopted. And he had a lot of trauma from being adopted. Mm. And, um, mm. you know, he was in foster care for the first uh, a couple of years of his life. And I mean, he got adopted by a beautiful family, but he had this like lifelong suicidal ideation. Like he had always wanted to kill himself and he never told anybody cause he just had lived with it. It was what he thought he should live with. And I told him like, we could fix that. And we ultimately did, mm-hmm. but you know, I remember he would come and, um, and he would say, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be a wimpy guy. I'm not, he would like, that's, he would just, it was like a chant for him. Like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be a wimpy guy. I'm not. And basically it was, I'm not going to have vulnerable feelings. Right. I'm not going to be a, like my fully feeling human self. And when he was able to actually allow himself to have all of his humanity and make room for that and know that it didn't, it actually made him stronger as a person. I mean, it's almost like these kind of, like these tools were useful. Like I, I don't like talk about evolution because I don't understand it. But like, in, let's just say historically, not historically, like where men were like physically combative, or even in other places in the world. And it just seems like 
counterproductive to the struggles that men have right now. Like, they're sort of not just breaking down old habits where, like, maybe not having strong emotions and, like, being physical f before talking about something was, like, productive at some point in history? Like, wars? I don't know. Well, I have a whole philosophy about what's happening in the world right now and, and what that comes from, which is kind of, you know, uh, Carl Jung was a very famous therapist. Mm -hmm. He was a student of Freud, and they had a falling out because Freud did too much cocaine, <laughs> and uh, among other things. And um, <laughs> and Carl Jung um, introduced the idea that um, that everybody has masculine and feminine within them, and that the world, I mean, in general, I think we can, we live in a world of duality where we have day and night and we have good and bad and we have, we have taxes and people who don't pay taxes, but we have, <laughs> um, and we have masculine and feminine and those are not gender, they aren't genital specific, right? So that the masculine is like the active intellectual um, protective force in the world and the feminine is the receptive, wise, more mysterious earth-based and um and together they make babies like we have right here right you have to have both to have babies yeah. but um and historically they were really really separated so that the men took on this like masculine role right. and the women took on this physical role and there were like social rules to not um to not overlap each other i'm not quite sure i i think we're evolving as a species myself yeah and part of evolution really requires a tremendous amount of self-responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, I personally think it's interesting to look at it from this perspective that a lot of misogyny and a lot of the oppression of women, women have really participated in that by not being willing to take full responsibility for themselves and to own their masculine and to own their own ability to wow. be protective and proactive and intellectual. And the same thing with men. I, th I think that's the call for us as a culture right now mm, is, is for each of us individually to become more of the opposite. I tend to orient fairly masculinely myself and a lot of my work as a person um, has been to become more feminine. Because I looked, I absorbed a lot of that misogyny, the women hating that we have, and because I had a sickly mother who was just manipulative, and how she ran the world was to just collapse, and then people would have to like go into the void to help her, and um, so I was like, well, fuck that. I'm, I, Where does that come from? Because I used to do that. It's a feminine. It's it Where is. Where does that come from? So it's the shadow side of the feminine. So the the, the positive side of the feminine is to be receptive I, I can't and do surrendered. It oh. Right, <laughs> but the, so the shadow side of the feminine is to feign powerlessness, which is not surrender. Is to really openly accept what's there and to um, to be allow yourself to be changed by what's happening. And the the shadow side or the dark side of that is to manipulate that and to to act like. You're open out of powerlessness, and it calls other people to come in to save you. Yeah. yeah. I shall lie down on this fainting chaise lounge. Right. Oh, right. Very Which, specific furniture. Yeah. Right very specific. <laughs> Another. Oh, you're good. He's good. He's like the guy in Pox and Rec. We got the thing we got to get out of. I forgot the last name. Until now. We'll have to look. Did, you should look it up. Well, so... So the idea, um, maybe we'll work a little bit with this. You know, the idea, and this is my understanding of relationship too. 
um, even homosexual relationship or whatever the orientation of the relationship is, is that we're drawn to partners that have more of the opposite or the places that we're underdeveloped and you know, in, in the old world, it would be together we come together, we make a whole. But I think really what we're being called to now is to become more like whatever our partner is so that we each become more whole. That's mm. kind of my Interesting. theory Resonating. Of, um, of life. Yeah. So making fun of the manly man. Yeah. I mean, do you that's do that easy. too? Oh, yeah. It's too easy. Is it too easy? I, I almost think so, yeah. I mean, it like... It's an easy target because everybody hates. It's, it's like if you make fun of like straight white guys, it's like everybody hates them already. Yeah, I you're love straight, straight white guys. You're a good-looking straight white guy, so oh, it's got to be hard. Stop. Like you're you're putting it on yourself. Like I really like straight white guys. <laughs> I, do. I do. I like bisexual straight white guys too. Right. <laughs> um. So, who's hard to poke fun at? If white guys. Straight white guys, that's too easy. The manly man. I mean, you don't ever... Yeah, I guess the idea is you never want to punch down, right? You never want to make fun of somebody who's kind of in a in a place below you, like whether that be physically speaking, socioeconomically speaking, in any kind of terms. So you're kind of limited. Well, I mean... Because you're considered top of the food chain. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. It's kind of... it's, it's Whoa, even funny. so you can't talk about anybody. It's even funny, too, because like I remember... I just like hanging out uh, outside between shows talking about a lot of these other comics are like really either like giving it their all in comedy or work a, a wait a wait job in LA or something like that and it's a, a much harder struggle where I've got like a full-time job that I I get paid fairly well I do a lot of hard work but uh, you know I get compensated well and I've got a college degree I'm fairly lucky with all of that behind mm-hmm. me so it's like damn you know I feel a little bit like I got like matching Carhartt hat and shoes, yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. a little bit bad for you like get the blue collar privilege. But at the same on. time, I grew up with like a lot of TV dinners and like a, a more or less like a single mom. So you know, I'm like, fuck it, I can have stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's like it's interesting, like with with this age of like I've heard a million comedians say like it's hard to be a white man right now and. Oh, it's not hard at but, all. But we comedy, do want to hear. Maybe. We do want to hear that. I will. I want to hear the stories of struggle. Like, wh- what was your struggle? Because white guys have struggle. White guys kill themselves. White guys shoot up schools. More white, white guys, guys, have a bad guys kill day. themselves. Exactly, than is yeah. by far. And we don't know about it because it's like, or we. I mean, we we're learning like the why, but the why is sort is still interesting. It's still less touched than a lot of other topics to me about like I mean I don't want to say the word vulnerability because that's like all comedy and that word's doesn't it's like stop meaning something to me because we use it so much but like I do really still like to see when like a white guy's on stage and he's like should I have five more minutes and I don't know what to talk about yet at an open mic I'll always be like talk about your mom <laughs> like my heckle because <laughs> like and then they think oh well, I don't have anything to say about my mom and they'll say one thing like one loaded thing tongue-in-cheek and the whole room laughs because it's like I kind of just want to hear white guys talk about their moms. And yeah. I don't know. It's like they, there's still this thing of like, I don't want to be personal on stage. I want to write a jokey joke. Mm. I don't know. And I'm always like, why do you got to be so jokey jokey? Like just do something autobiographical too. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know. That's my personal curiosity with like male comics that are, yeah, that are avoiding that specifically. Are you, are you a jokey joke or are you a personal joke person? 
I don't know. I think it's a fair mix. I think a lot, I think at least a lot of the material that I've done down here has been more uh, autobiographical, more like stories directly pertaining to my life. Yeah, I, I think for the most part, <laughs> it's hard to, I guess it's hard to like think back or like kind of take it out of the context of my own life. Cause it's like, oh, well, I wrote it all. So it is kind of like on a certain level personal to me. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's mostly like stories, stuff like that. You know, I've been experimenting. Um, I've been experimenting here actually with this because because there's this there's this kind of idea of being a therapist which is hierarchical which I really hate and um, and how self revealing is it like appropriate to be and and like even that idea of appropriate right like what is appropriate not appropriation that's a whole other big <laughs> problem too right but um how appropriate is it to be and i've kind of made a decision i'm 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 playing around with the idea of just being completely inappropriate mm -hmm. um because that's actually my nature anyway and um it feels more authentic mm -hmm. for me to be authentic and self-revealing but it's a little scary because it's kind of taboo as a therapist mm -hmm. In a way, yeah. To be to say I like to have somebody stick their finger up my ass. Yeah. Or something. You know, um, most therapists, I guess, probably wouldn't say that. They probably wouldn't. But they all like it. Sure. Anyway. Well, I don't well, maybe maybe they knows? don't all like it. You gotta try it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, look at you. Oh my God, we just got this baby. He knows. Oh. So normal therapy is like the therapist sits there with a piece of paper and, and doesn't say anything, and you talk, and then later they tell you stuff. But they never talk about themselves. Is that what you're saying? So, well, that that's a that is one particular. Actually, it is a large way that people are trained. People are trained in the whole medical community too. You're trained to not be a person, to keep yeah. your own feelings out of it, to basically not be a human. And I think it is the least healing thing that you can do for another person. Passive listening is passive listening. Yeah. And to tapping not, of a pen becomes the whole session. Right. To not actually, because the thing I see, particularly in you know, talk about suffering that I see in San Francisco, which is where I live now, which is, you know, this incredibly white privileged place, but there's a tremendous suffering of disconnection and loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. Like, really, that, you know, you talk about war-torn countries and I, I've been, um, I've had the opportunity to be in a third world country for a period of time. And the amount of human connection that people have is really, really incredible. And you know, I don't want to live in a place where I'm fearing for my life, but there's always a compensation. Like I, you know, and I think one of the really sad things about white privilege is that we don't have the right to have suffering and that we aren't supposed to because everybody else has it so much worse. And there's a different kind of suffering that happens in your Volvo when you're on your phone and you haven't actually phone. talked to a person. Yeah. Um, or you walk by your kids and you don't have a relationship with your kids or you don't actually have not a having, genuine connection. Not having real needs because I feel like connection is formed by needs. And when you don't have a need because everything's getting dropped off and delivered by a certain person you're paying, it's like what are the actual people in your life for? Like how, what are you depending on other people for it? And like like desperation is a form of connection <laughs> that's pretty strong. Need, actually. need, it, that's an excellent point. Need is real. I think it's. I think this is where we're really driving off the cliff yeah. as as a as a species is because this idea that if we have all our needs met, then we'll be happy and we can do fun things or something. But there is 
that basic, that's really beautiful the way you said that, that needs kind of drive connection. And without the needs, you lose the connection. And without connection, I don't know what there is. Although I, I will say if I like won the lottery or just had a lot of money dumped on me and like met all those needs, I'd probably be pretty happy. <laughs> like I'd be, I would be totally happy with that, you know, for a minute. Oh, that's what you think. I could, but do, the things, I could do a lot. <laughs> you can do a lot. You can do a lot. I don't know. I never want to win the lottery. Oh, same. I, no I don't way. want it. No. I find like I want to be occupied. You guys with, can buy me tickets. Then. <laughs> my little problems are so good. Like they're so like they cause the perfect amount of stress. Like I feel like they're real, you know, I'm like my health insurance. I'm going to get it. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to feed the baby or whatever. And it's like the bigger your life is, it's like, oh, my CEO, I have 20, 20 employees. Like I see these people and it's just like the, the products that they're making are so dispensable. Like if the economy busts, like nobody is going to want both the parents have their own companies and like nobody's going to want what they're selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm just like having, I don't know. I'm not like saying like simplicity because some things that are very complicated, complicated are like really important. But like, I personally, I'm scared of like making my life have too many things in it that don't actually matter. Well, it's a question. So like what actually yeah. makes you happy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, I, I picture that, like if I had, if I did win the lottery, I'd just like, and this is a, because of who I am and like what I was brought up in and what I do now, like I would just buy land and like build stuff, you know, you just work on stuff. Isn't that what you're doing now? I mean, now I'm not working on the stuff I want to work on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'd love yeah. to have like a, my own full shop, you know, like it's kind of like, I'd love to That's what retirement's that. for. I know. Doing. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'll retire. Like my dad's 66 he's there both my parents aren't retired yet i don't know if retirement's in the the burger uh i'm never uh, gonna retire yeah in the burger doctrine but i mean yeah i guess i'm doing that now but it'd be like i could just like you can make stuff you know i could build a fucking boat Whoa. would that be cool like take the time my stepdad he built uh he built a boat i get you know he did it while he was working at a shipyard but he built the 24 foot boat in our backyard over the course of eight years and then he and my mom sailed on it for a little while girl you want to make you can make a lot of money building boats i had i had a i had a friend they had a boat building family they they built yeah. sailing boats it's they starting made, to it's huge money they'd sell those boats for like two hundred thousand dollars oh 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 piece. my god more yeah. yeah but it's starting well to this is get, in massachusetts uh, not in san francisco it would be five hundred thousand yeah there. it's starting to get out well i don't want to say outsourced but uh, Turkey is becoming a huge boat building uh, epicenter just because it's ungodly cheap to do boat building over there. You know, wow. you can throw cheap labor at it and get the job done way quicker, way under budget. So, the place my stepfather was working for, um, pretty like a pretty well known wooden like wooden shipbuilder in Maine, um, they like closed down three of their buildings, three of their facilities, sold one off, and like had to lay off a ton of people because it's like. Nobody, not a lot of people in the world are splurging for like $5.8 million wooden sailboats. Well, you don't anymore. need a lot of them. You don't need a lot of them if you no. have that. I mean, so these people, they had a family business. They had, it was yeah. the father and two brothers and, um, and they built these custom yachts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like 30, 40 foot sailboats and it'd take a couple of years and people want it cause they would visit them and everything, you know, the teak and this is going to be this special way and yeah. they bent all the wood and do all like that. You know, I believe 
that we don't have a dream without being able to have the power to make it come true. Like, you really want to build boats, dude? Like, you can do that. You don't have to win the lottery. Yeah. No, but what's well, the was... bigger dream? Comedy? Would you rather do comedy or do you rather? would you rather build furniture? Because furniture seems like an actual talent that could actually make money, whereas comedy is like drink tickets. Right, right, right. Until <laughs> until you get your Netflix special. Like, even when you get your Netflix special at you this point. You buy one nice outfit and then it's back to drink tickets. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't figured that out yet. You haven't soul searched that no. far enough yet? But you like both of them. You're oh, like, yeah. It's working out fine. Everything's cool. Right now, everything's cool. There you go. Until I have a baby. Uh, it's Are you nice going to have a baby? No, I, I, every morning, stand in front of the microwave for like five minutes trying to, <laughs> trying to reduce that chance. Yeah. You love that. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> he did. He spit up over that one. Oh, my goodness. Microwave my balls. <laughs> <laughs> Cook them little fishies up. Yeah. My mom used to do this thing with us called the attention store, and it was when we were, like, upset about not getting something we really wanted. And she just, she still does this with me and my other siblings. And she's just like, well, if you had everything, time and money wasn't an issue, like, what is it that you really trying to do? And you just talk for, like, ten minutes about your fantasy, like, in the way you were just doing now. And it's, like, this really cool practice, and it ends up, sometimes building gratitude but also just like oh i could probably do that you know like i wanted to get into comedy and i was just like ah and then it's like oh you can actually it's slower and it's like more at stake and more at risk than like your little dream that you paint but it's interesting to be like well what is it that i really want you know sometimes it's like oh i want a vacation in a hot place and you're like well you could probably do that if you if you save up and you know call a phone a friend or something i don't know it's just, mm-hmm. just like a the attention store sometimes like when you're feeling like i don't know like stretched and you want more money <laughs> that's a really beautiful thing yeah yeah i don't know i i i sometimes joke about it a lot with my sisters like we'll be bitching about something and one of us will be like attention store and you'll be like shut up you know <laughs> <laughs> like it, but it is it is something because i'm like what like i don't like being a, like a maid i don't like feeling class consciousness every day or like you know what I mean like I don't I'm in like this half hot not world all the time and I'm like well I'm I think I'm happier than the people that are that I lived that as a as a maid um and so and you know it was really good preparation for me um it was good preparation for me for what I'm doing now and um Mm. just as far as being able to be happy with what is with what I have and, and outside, you know, we were talking about the manly man thing. And to me, like, I call those masks. Mm. Yeah. Like, they're, they're these things that we wear, and class is a thing that we wear. And there's a, you know, that, that kind of protects us. It kind of can tell us who we think we should be. And so we don't have to do the work to actually check it out and see who we really are. We can just pretend to be this little cutter, cookie cutter thing that we put on ourselves. And uh, people want to put it on us, too. people like always assume I'm like a gay vegan and like sometimes I just let it happen you know like I'm not trying for that look or I'm not trying for that vibe I get that all the time too (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes it's like more useful to just let their assumptions stick absolutely or like people think this is my baby and I'm like yep like it's a gay baby like whatever I just don't care where their assumptions are but like it is so powerful because once I assume the lie that's been put on me in like a a short moment like it's so impactful it's so like if I pretend like this is my baby like it changes than when I say I'm the nanny like who and how I relate to that person so much 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it's like this. Sometimes I do it on purpose, you know, like I pretend like I'm the mom on purpose. I have to stand up about it, but like it because of the way people treat you differently. Mother's Day is so fun. The whole week of Mother's Day when you're a nanny is the best. Just yeah. take it that yeah. whole week. Just take it. You're taking it. <laughs> be like, people... Yes, I am a great mom. You're <laughs> right. I'm the best mom you've ever seen, aren't I? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> like, on like the bus. The act of mothering. I don't know. So it's just, yeah, like the roles people put on you versus who you are. And sometimes it can, it can like tilt who you think you are, like in your core. You're like, wait, what do I actually believe? Like, am I just toting a party line because I look like a party line? <laughs> That's interesting, right? Yeah. To expand our possibilities yeah. of who we might be. So... Um, did you guys, so you knew you were coming to a therapy thing. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have anything that you wanted to work on? Not, not really up front. I, I've had an interesting, I've had an interesting relationship in therapy throughout my life. I, the first time I went was probably when I was like eight or nine, uh, with my mom just after my folks split up and, but that was like, you know, you're a kid and I think I was just like drawing Right. Crayons on paper, you whatever. Play tic-tac-toe or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Play tic tac toe. It's like, well, how do you feel? I'm like, I don't know, dude. Right. Weird. <laughs> Weird dog. My dad's not here anymore. Like, what do you want me to say? Right. Uh, and then I tried uh, <clears throat> somewhat recently the online therapy talk space. I don't know if you've heard of that or. or I have. I tried it and I was. A lot of what I had started, it's like all text based, and a lot of what I had gone into was um kind of wealth gap and like struggling i have a lot of like wealthy friends i'm dating a rather like affluent young woman uh and so it's like always feeling kind of like a struggle to keep up or like meet there like meet people spending or like oh they're all going out like okay well i can go out but maybe i'll take out another credit card so i can go hang out more um and like, she, I just remember getting a text back from this therapist. It was like, well, if you care about that, like, why don't you just become like a hedge fund manager? And I was like, <gasps> I was like, if you think that's how the world works, like you shouldn't be giving people life advice because that's so naive and like, right. Bananas. Just become wealthy. Yeah. You can yeah. Solve your it's problems. such an right. advice. It was like advice that you didn't ask for. It's just so different from what a therapist. Yeah. Like I like advice. It was funny because I like, I like blue. It was like all text. So I'm like, this isn't real. So I was like, you're fucking dumbass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Trolling like, the therapist. Yeah, I was like, that's fucking. And she's like, you should probably find a new uh, person to talk to. I was like, yeah, of course, obviously. Obviously. Uh, but I have been seeing uh, this one doctor in, uh, in Portland now who's from Boston mm-hmm. um, in my network. <laughs> Uh, it's been decent, but I go like semi-regularly and we kind of talk for a little bit, but I don't, I've never felt that I was on the, um, like on the precipice of collapse or major anxiety attack. So I go in and we chat for an hour and then I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of like, all right, right now. I think it, I like depression, anxiety ebbs and flows for me. So it's, you know, you're catching me on a good week. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know what to talk about. I'm having a good time. Okay. We might poke it to, do you have anything that you want to work on? Well, honestly, like if I, w- okay, there's, if I went to therapist right now, the narcissist performer in me is like, well, how about, maybe we could arrange something. You just ask me questions about my life and then whatever you think is interesting, keep probing at it. Because I love talking about myself and my stories. And it's just like a narcissistic interview of like, 
well, what's interesting, interesting, and it's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in therapy, which is like, or maybe, but um, what's interesting about my story is what I'm trying to look for right now is former because I like storytelling and I think I have a weird past. Um, so there's that, but also like in what I want, I am very ADHD and like my most successful forms of therapy in the past have been not actually digging, which is the opposite of what I just said, but like <laughs> the exact opposite. Welcome to my life. Um, is just like, um, ADHD coaching is like my biggest need of like, what are finding motivation for the things that are like not exciting and not comedy related. And like, you know what I mean? So like, that's, those are the two, those are, that's what I always want is like, right now I'm like, well, I don't want someone to, it's the exact opposite. I've said both in the same week. I don't want anyone to dig. I just want somebody to like, help me get my goal list done. And also dig and ask me weird questions about my past. You paint? Did you say you paint in like a throwaway thing? Like, not paint? I don't think so. You didn't? Okay, thank God. Because I was like, you do that too? No, I used to have hobbies. I used to have a lot. I used to have a lot of hobbies. And they're, 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 they're buried. (laughs) They're so buried. Now you just have a baby. I'm like, I have two extra hours to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a real mom. Oh yeah. So no hobbies, just comedy and writing. So the way that, the way that spiritual psychology works, and it works lots of different ways, but is, um, certainly it can be issue focused, but a lot of times what wants to happen is just already right here. So, um, a really good place to well, why don't we're gonna we're gonna poke at you yeah, a little bit first, and then we'll poke at you. If we, I, I would say for like, I think one of the things that I definitely notice difficulty in my day to day life is like relationship stuff, like conflict resolution, de escalation, stuff like that, and like that's I guess areas that I I certainly see myself wanting to work at. So say more about that. How does how does it come up? Um, I, I definitely would say that both my partner and I now are more combative and defensive when it comes to like a conflict or, or we get into an argument and we'll have, I'll notice for myself, have trouble like really hearing what she's saying mm-hmm. instead of just kind of like focusing on how I'm going to respond to it. Right. You know, that's definitely, I think probably a, a a key a key factor of like a lot of males in oh in like or maybe everybody everybody like, does that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so um so if you consider a conflict that you guys have had recently and um like pull one up and see if you can so this is really body scented work. So see if you can get a sense of like what's happening in your body when you're having a conflict. This is your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're having a conflict with your girlfriend, like what, what's happening in your body before you get to the defensive place or maybe you get there. Do you go right to defense? Think of a conflict lately. Yeah. yeah can yeah. you pick one? And even just, is it when you can kind of tell us what it is? Just super simple. Like, she wanted to go to McDonald's and I want to go to Burger King. Oh. No, well, yeah, all right. Well, we'll talk about the most like recent relevant one. And it's actually, it was transpiring kind of throughout this festival. Um, but she got like, she got really fucked up at a party and like wound up naked in a hot tub, making out with a bunch of people. And she kind of said it was under the context of like, oh, we were playing spin the bottle. It was like really fun and like not a big deal. 
you shouldn't really worry about it. And then I was like, well, I kind of am a little bit worried about it. Um, so that's been an ongoing conflict. Well, yeah, that's not McDonald's and Burger King. That's not okay. McDonald's and Burger King. Right. No, so that's intense. But I think that our, our back and forth since then has been more of like her trying to explain it as like pretty not like it not a big deal not like an issue that i should be worried about where i'm kind of coming from my point of view being like hey i'm out of state like i don't know what was going on and it is kind of a big deal for me right um but we're not really hearing each other um or i guess we're speaking past each other in this in this context okay so if so if they think about um let's kind of go to the well you can pick any of the conversations that you guys have had around this and um, so pick one. It could be the first one. It could be subsequent ones. And so if you, if you like consider your body, like what is oh. happening? We can maybe just bring it up this way right now. So if you think about what happened with her in the hot tub and you're not there, um, how does that feel in your body? Kind of like, like not, not well and unease, like in your gut, kind of like confusion and sadness inside like lower stomach okay so if um, i'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for a minute and see if you can bring your awareness a little bit deeper to that we're gonna be curious about it about what that feeling is because the thing is we have lots of narratives in our head we have all kinds of stories but our body doesn't lie and i personally believe that any discomfort that we have is an opportunity for us to do some healing work within ourselves and become more whole and more grounded. So, so if you bring your awareness to that really understandable discomfort and sadness and confusion in your belly, just see if you can notice, like, does it have a shape? Does it have, if, if it was, if we were going to give it kind of open your other senses of sight and sound and taste and touch and smell and instinct and intuition, if we were going to kind of, give it a form what color would it be what shape would it be what's its density those feelings of confusion and sadness I guess like when I was closing my eyes and just kind of thinking about that listening it's like just kind of a heavy dark blue orb okay so I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes shut as much as you can for this and um, and so if you bring your awareness to that, um, to that kind of heavy blue orb, and I wonder if you can sense or feel or imagine the first time in your life you ever had a feeling similar to that. And it, it doesn't have to be like a memory. It's just kind of what comes up when I offer that possibility. When was the first time you felt that kind of sadness and confusion in your belly? Uh, I could, I think back to like a moment which I I like smile about now or laugh about now, um, which was when my folks were still together and they're having a like a really big fight uh -huh. and 